Once truth or moral decay sets in, however, typically it takes God's judgment to cleanse the evil. It appears America is in the throes of divine retribution. America has indeed sowed to the wind, and our nation is reaping the whirlwind. Now, God has warned Israel to avoid sexual immorality that leads to child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. Is sexual immorality the acceptable lifestyle of America now, pretty much? It doesn't matter. Nobody wants to say anything about that because everybody's doing it. People are shacking up with each other and they're not married. Is that right or wrong? It's wrong. God never changed His Word. And then because of the sin, people are offering up children's sacrifice. They're sacrificing their children. They're taking their lives to cover their sin. Is that right or is that wrong? Well, that's what they were doing. And God says that he's going to vomit out the inhabitants. Look there in Leviticus chapter 18. I covered this about a week or so ago, but it was just a little small part of a Sunday school lesson. But I want you to see it one more time. Look there in verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an acceptable lifestyle. It is an abomination. In verse 23, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion to natural instincts of animals. It's not right. It's wicked. Number 24, Defile ye not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. He says, the people that are in the land now, the reason I'm taking them out and giving it to you is because they're guilty of these sins. And lo and behold, here's America. God gave it to us because the people that were here before us were guilty of these sins. And I believe that God will take us out if we don't, yes, turn from our wicked ways. Look what he says here. In verse 25, And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants, like the foam upon the waves of the ocean that churns it and vomits it out and casts it upon the shore. God says, that's what I'm going to do to the land. So people say, well, it doesn't matter what those homosexuals do because it doesn't affect us. People will have an abortion as long as it doesn't affect us. Wait a minute, is this our nation? Is this where we live? Does God judge nations for their sins? Yes, He does. And when God judged the nation, don't we live here? And we will suffer right along with the rest of them. God meant for us, the Christian, to be the salt. That's the preservative of a nation. And the reason it's rotten in Washington is because there's no salt, no preservative. Many Christians have no influence. They have no power. They've lost their saltiness, and wherewithal shall it be salted? They've lost their influence. Christians are not looked upon today. We're the scourge of the earth. So he says here in verse 26, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgment, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. 
For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They were an example of those that choose to live that way. Now, I believe, and whenever I witness to people, I don't care whether or not they're a murderer, homosexual, adulterer, a thief, liar. Everybody's guilty of sin. I'm not interested in their sin. I'm interested in their soul, and I want to win them to Christ. But as a nation, we're supposed to be a nation of laws. And we're to have a righteous laws in a nation. We're to have laws that protect the decency of a society. And we've gotten away from that. And now we're legislating immorality because you've heard it yourself. You can't legislate morality. Then, blessed be God, what is the Ten Commandments? It's the moral law legislated by God. And you do legislate morality of what's right and what's wrong based upon what the Word of God says. But anyway, I know that some of my convictions leak out once in a while. Let me read this to you. We can politicize national disasters all we want. We can turn to junk science and blame global warming for all these woes. But all the new and improved light bulbs in the world will not spare us from God's wrath. It is not man's energy used causing climate change. It is man's immorality, iniquity, and abomination that defile the land and eventually dispossesses the inhabitants. That's what's wrong in America. Sin is what's wrong in America. And we are getting to where we are tolerating sin and despising righteousness. The people that do good and people are calling good, evil, and evil good. The Bible talks about that. And that's about where we are. So you can get in trouble simply for the reason you do right. And I've said this before. The day is coming when they're going to probably come in these doors and they're going to haul me off to jail for the simple reason that I'm going to keep talking about how that homosexuality is a sin, that it's wicked, and that abortion is wrong. I'm, see, I'm against any sin because I think all sin is wrong. But I do believe that we ought to have, in a nation, we ought to have some righteous laws. And I still believe that sex outside of marriage is still wrong. And I'm going to preach it that way because that's what's in the Bible. And if God says adultery is wrong, adultery is wrong. And I can't justify it, and nobody else can either. It's still what God's Word says. Let me mention this to you. There are threats of terrorism from without, moral decay rotting from within, natural disasters increasing with frequency and intensity, and a government belonging more tyrannical with each passing day. And for all intent and purposes, we seem to be a nation being dispossessed. How do we respond to these great challenges, especially those of us who warned of these days for years and were not only rejected by our nation, but the church itself? One thing I know for sure is I don't want to be one of those kind that says, well, I, I told you so. But I did say that years ago. And many preachers did. But people don't care. And they vote for whoever can give them the most. And that's why we're having the downfall in our country because everybody's got to the place to just gimme, 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 gimme. It's not going to sustain a country. And therefore, when people realize that they got to work and give it to somebody else, and you listen to the news and all the thieves that we've got in Washington passing laws and by the legislation of the pen robbing America, that is unconstitutional. 
to do the things that are being done and ruining this country, draining it dry. And understand this. There's a lot that I'm not saying. I hope maybe you can read between the lines, but whatever it is. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. In Jeremiah, just let's look at that. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1. And you'll notice in chapter 9 and verse 1 that he makes a statement there about how it affected him. When he saw what was happening to the nation of Israel, Babylon is coming in. He warned them nobody would listen. Even the so-called prophets of that day wouldn't listen. They mocked him, made fun, put him in a pit. And Jeremiah says, I, 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 just, I just can't say no more. I'm not going to say, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Then after a while, he said, I can't keep my mouth shut. It's burning in my bones, I have to speak. And he got in trouble. But look in verse 1, chapter 9, where he says, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. He was known as the weeping prophet because he loved his people and he loved God, but he saw that his people were wicked and what was coming down the pike. And he was a prophet telling them what's going to happen and warning the people. And nobody wants to listen. In fact, in the aftermath of God's judgment, Jeremiah penned the book of Lamentation. But I want you to see a couple of verses in the book of Lamentation. It's just to your right just a little bit. Both there in Lamentation in chapter 3. Lamentation chapter 3 is right between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And you'll notice here in chapter 3, look in verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. We may be guilty of a lot of things, and maybe even God would be justified in destroying this nation. But you and I know that there are some people that are righteous, that love Him, and He may, because of His mercy, He may give us a little time, and I hope just enough time till the rapture. But it may not happen. We have no clue how much we may suffer as a people before the rapture takes place. Or if the rapture will even take place in our time. I'm looking for the Lord to come at any time. But He may not come for another hundred years. I don't have a clue. I don't know when He's coming. I just know He is. And He may come before I die, which I would like that a lot better. But he makes this statement here in verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In verse 24, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in the White House. Is that what it says? My hope is not in the White House. My hope is not in the Republican Party. It's not in the Democratic Party. It's not in the, uh, the Tea Party. It's not in anybody. My hope is in the Lord. And I hope that some people, somewhere along the line, will wake up and realize, hey, this is our country. Why are we letting them have it and destroying our freedoms and our liberties? If God should wait another hundred years, do you realize some of our kids may wonder, why didn't you do something about it? You say, well, what can we do? I don't know. I just know I'm to be the preacher. I'm to be the prophet. I'm to be the voice. I'm to warn people. I'm the man sitting on the wall trying to warn people this is what's coming. 
Yes, some of this will be played on the radio. Some of it will be on the Internet. Well, it already is. But you never know all that's coming down the pike. Now, what America is suffering most likely is just the beginning of our woes. We have much to account for before a holy God. My one recommendation is that we cling to the only anchor that holds in this life and the age to come. Flee to the Lord for refuge. The wisdom of God declares that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Proverbs 18.10 says, The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, we don't know what's going to happen in a country, but what should Christians do when it seems like the world is falling apart? Remember, God is not falling apart. And your hope in Him keeps you from falling apart. Regardless of all the decisions that they make, that's why if you want to save America, get America saved. I still believe that the greatest thing we can ever do is keep winning people to Christ, take advantage of all the opportunities that we can, keep the radio going, keep the internet going, and if I could and I had the money, I'd get a TV broadcast. I'd get on more radio stations. But I'm going to do everything I possibly can because I believe it's right. The reason we started Bible College is because we want to produce some pillars, some people with some backbone, somebody that knows truth and stands for truth and will not cower. And if it's being suffering for the cause of Christ, even in the death, be willing to do so. You probably have heard of Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. You see, God has a purpose. And all things work together for good for the purpose that God has. Now, I believe there's more to it in the context because of the things that went before that and what he's talking about. But we need to be thankful to the Lord for the opportunity to live in such a time as this. Because the darker the world gets, the brighter the light ought to shine. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, I'll just read this to you. Thus hope that we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entered into the veil. And there's an anchor that goes into the veil and it's anchored under, and our faith is anchored within the veil to the Lord. And we have an anchor, steadfast and sure. You know, there's a song written about that. And it's a true, I, I love the song. A man by the name of Gerhard Ford made a statement. This is, this is what he said. And I like it because it kind of reminds me of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 11 where he says, Paul made the statement, if I preach circumcision, why am I not then not being persecuted? If that's what I'm preaching, that's what he was accused of, that he was teaching the law. Paul did. I didn't preach that. He said, if I did, then the offense of the gospel is ceased. In other words, if we were to teach that you're saved by your works, well, then you're just like all the religions of the world. You're no different from the world. Why should the world persecute you? Because that makes sense. You have to earn it. Good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And all you got to do is just be good. But when you tell them that it's free, no works at all, that cuts against the grains of every individual because most people have a problem with pride. And it started all the way back there in the garden. And so the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is offensive to every person who's trying to earn their way to heaven. 
And God says, so do we change the message because we want to make it relevant to the people? No, we don't change the gospel. I believe the gospel that God gave to us is relevant regardless of what race they are, what country they are. That treasure in earthen vessels is the greatest thing anybody anywhere can ever hear and understand. That God loves them. Sent His Son to pay for their sins. And if they trust Him, they can have eternal life as a free gift. But He said this, When we operate on the assumption that the gospel must constantly be trimmed so as not to give offense, to stroke the psyche rather than to place it under attack, it will, of course, gradually decline to the level of greeting card sentimentality. The language of sin, law, Accusation, repentance, judgment, wrath, punishment, perishing, death, devil, damnation, and even the cross itself. Virtually one half of the vocabulary simply disappears. Take all of that out of your vocabulary. Take all of that out of our messages so that we don't offend anybody. And you just destroyed one half of the Bible because that's all in the Bible. And yes, all of that that God says, hey, you better straighten up. There's a God in heaven, and He's not going to tolerate this. He didn't tolerate it with the nation of Israel or the nation that was before them. Or when they got into the Babylon, God judged them, with the Medes and the Persians, and then after them. There's no end to this. Then the Alexandrian Empire, and you've got the Roman Empire. They come and they go, and here we are. 2,000 years later, you would think we would learn by now. But for some reason, we have a hard problem learning. It has lost its theological legitimacy, and therefore its viability as gospel truth. If there's no bad news, there is no good news. And people are taking away the bad news because they don't want to offend people. And yet, at the same time, what about God's children? Do you realize that God, even though He loves you, knows that you still sin, and that God gets angry, and that God can chasten you, maybe take you home before your time? Remember, God believes in capital punishment. That's why everybody dies. If government doesn't do it in time, God does with every individual. All have sinned, all will die. Because God believes in capital punishment. This was written by A.W. Tozer. I got quite a few of his books. Writes a lot about revival in America. So far we haven't seen it. It may be right around the corner. But he says, We who preach the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relations agents sent to establish goodwill between Christ and the world, we must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, the press, the world of sports, or modern education. We are not diplomats, but prophets. And our message is not a compromise, but an ultimatum. Let's say, for example, there's a lost man sitting right here. I want that lost man to know. Now, I can love him, maybe I can hate him. But what I want is to give to the lost man an ultimatum. I don't care whether he likes me or he don't like me. Now, I know that in soul winning, you want to have a favorable impression. 
try to win him to Christ, teach him the truth, woo him along, win him along. So forth. But in my mind, I want him to know there's an ultimatum. If you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you are going to hell. Is that what I said, true or untrue? It is still the truth. And I don't want to soften the consequences of his rejection. I want a lost man. I want our country. I want everybody to know truth. Why do you need to trust Christ as your Savior? Why should we want people to live a godly life? Because there's a God in heaven that sees the wickedness and God will judge the nation. And us right along with it. So yes, I believe that our message is not to be a compromise. That's why we want to start a Bible college. If it's just to be like all the other Bible colleges, then we don't need to start one. Would we? If we're going to be just like all other Bible colleges, we don't need to start one. Just go to those. Unless for some reason you believe that something you have is different. Something you have is a little bit better. And I believe that it is. And I believe that it's important. One of the statements used to be made years ago about the old Florida Bible College. They're the Lone Ranger. They're the Lone Ranger. They're all alone. Nobody's quite like them. Because they were different. They were unique. And we can't make as our goal. We want everybody to love us. If you love truth, if you love the gospel, if you love souls, if you love the position that we take and the, the stand that we take, man, I want all the help I can get. But I'm not interested in my short time of life that I've got left to compromise to get anything. I'm willing to follow truth wherever truth may lead and leave the results to the Lord. If we have to compromise to get students, I don't want students. If I have to compromise to keep kids, I don't want them. I want those who want to love the Lord, want to learn God's Word and walk with God. I want to take some people and give them some backbone so they'll know how to stand against anybody and everybody if necessary. Because I believe that's what God wants. I don't know if I'm getting sidetracked or not, but I'm watching the clock just like you are. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. This wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. This, in spite of everything that I say, you may not agree with all that, but do believe this. God loves you. Hates what you do wrong, but He loves you. And if you're watching by internet, I want you to know more than anything else in the world that God loves you. He hates what you do wrong. And there are consequences. There's an ultimatum. You either believe on Christ or you will go to hell. I don't know a nicer way to say it. If I knew how, I would say it. But I don't want to not say it because I want people to see the seriousness of it. God loves us, hates our sin. For us to pay for that sin is eternal separation from God in hell. Since we have all sinned, we're all condemned. But God loves us. Wants us to go to heaven, but to go to heaven we have to be perfect. As righteous as God, and we're not perfect. We're not righteous. We are sinners. We sin. 
And God says, you cannot save yourself. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You'll never be good enough to go to heaven when you die. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But he took our sins upon himself. And even God himself had to turn his back upon his son. Christ died in our place for our sins, came back from the dead. And God said that if you and I, if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. I don't want to sugarcoat a lost man's position. I want them to understand it's a serious position. This is a heaven and hell issue. If this isn't important, serving God isn't important. It won't matter if I do or I don't because it's not really that important. Unless where a man spends eternity is important. And I want them to know there, there's an ultimatum to this. Do you realize that if you reject Christ as your Savior, there's a great price to pay? Also, same vein, you know Christ is your Savior? Did you realize that serving God is an important thing? It's not to be taken lightly. This is the most serious thing in the world. You're not here just to enjoy your life and do whatever you want to do with your life like it's yours. God gave you the right to breathe, and he can take it away just so easy. We live only by the grace of God. And so God, who created us, loved us, sent his son to pay for our sins, give us eternal life. Now, as a child of God, God wants you and I to serve him. He wants us to live a righteous life, not to get to heaven, but because we're going there. Is it important? It is very important, and you need to understand that because in every decision, there's, there's an ultimatum. You either can have God's blessings or God's chastisement, but you can't live as you please and get away with it. Serving God is important. Being what God wants you to be is important. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Lord, we know that according to your word, you say to pray for those in place of leadership, those in authority. And Father, we do pray for our president, for those in Congress. Lord, even though whether they believe or they don't believe, we know that you're able to take even the unrighteous person and utilize them to work your will. And Father, we don't know how all these things are going to come down, but we, we want to have a quiet and peaceful life. And we pray that your will to be done. We know that prayer is the most powerful thing that we have at our disposal. And so we pray to you. We're your children. We love you. And we want a place for our kids and our grandkids. We know we're not going to live here long. But Father, we want the best for them. Help us to be wise. And thank you for each person here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.